Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning, if you would please, to 2 Timothy as we continue our journey. Uh, the 10th message now in this little book, very significant book in the New Testament, uh, having to do a great deal with discipleship and passing on the gospel and the legacy of ministry to those who come behind us. Uh, looking this morning at the subject matter, Finishing Well, and it'll be the first of two or three messages by the same title. Now, as you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I do want to say uh, something about Tuesday. Some of you have been asking this week, Pastor, what are you going to say Sunday about voting? Well, go and vote. <laughs> uh, certainly, I always hope that Christians in any election... Uh, vote biblical convictions. Uh, oftentimes, evidently we don't. But anyway, uh, I hope that nobody puts their ultimate faith in either a candidate or a party. Last time I checked, there's only one Savior. Okay? And guess what? Wednesday morning, regardless of who gets voted in, who doesn't, Jesus is still going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And nothing's going to change that. But you know what? I take a great deal of comfort in that, don't you? The world's in His hands. Regardless of how elections go, this is His world. History is His story. And I think as Christians, we need to keep our heads and keep that perspective. And also as we talk to other people, and we, we're talking to people about candidates and elections, that we would not do or say anything that would hinder us at a later point from being able to go and win that person to Christ. If we win a political battle or an argument, and yet we make it to where we can't ever go and witness to that person, we've lost big time. Uh, I say more about that if you want to go this week. Uh, Baptist News is our national Baptist press, bpnews.net. They contacted four pastors across the country this week in swing states, one in Arizona, one in Pennsylvania, one in Florida, and one in North Carolina, uh, for some reason or another, yours truly was the North Carolina voice. But anyway, I, no, no, no. I just, I say more about that if you just briefly in Baptist Press this week. But just make sure you keep your head, okay? And again, we have to keep avenues open for the gospel. That's what's most important. Now, go and vote. Be involved in the process. We're to be salt and light. We recognize veterans this morning uh, who have served. Many have given their lives for freedoms that we have in this country. There are people across the globe that would love to have the freedoms that we have. And we take them for granted. Don't take them for granted. But anyway, enough said. Uh, that's sermon number one. Now, on to sermon number two, which is going to be a lot longer, okay? If you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul says, beginning there in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Father, we're so grateful for these words that we have in our Bibles. Lord, thank you that you have given us revelation. You've taught us what we need to know in order to be saved and then once being saved to be discipled and equipped for the ministry that you've given us. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church. May we treasure your word. May we hide it in our hearts. Lord, may we proclaim it to others that they might come to know you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Scripture oftentimes records the words, the famous last words of dying men. I think, for instance, about Jacob in the Old Testament. Remember Jacob, how just before he died, he gathered his sons around him, the sons of Israel, and he pronounced his blessings upon each one of them. And then I also think about Joseph at the end of his life. Joseph assured his brothers that even though uh, they were in a foreign land, God was going to deliver them from that foreign land and take them to the promised land. And he said, when God does that, please take my body with you. And then there was Moses. Moses gathered the children of Israel together and he preached three great messages to them before they entered the promised land. Those three great messages make up what is our book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And Moses told them the things that they needed to be mindful of and remember once they got into the promised land. And then there, there were the words of Jesus. Jesus' last words when he said from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And finally he said, it is finished, and he breathed his last. Famous last words. Well, folks, as we look at the book of 2 Timothy, we know that we're looking at the famous last words of the Apostle Paul. The first books that were written in our New Testament were the books of James, Galatians, and 1 Thessalonians. And scholars debate among those three, which gets the distinction of being the earliest. Two of those three, the Apostle Paul wrote. First words in the New Testament. Well, the book of 2 Timothy is Paul's last words that he wrote out of all of his letters. So there's a great deal of emotion and passion in these words. 
Paul's come a long way since his Damascus Road conversion. He's now in a dungeon. It's cold or it's getting cold because in verse 13 he asked Timothy to bring the cloak because winter is soon to set in. He's also lonely. He says, no one is with me other than Dr. Luke. Now folks, as you read these words, you can sense that the guillotine has been sharpened and is ready for Paul's execution. Again, it's a very emotionally charged section. In fact, there are nine imperatives, nine commands given in these five verses that we've read this morning. In verse 2, there's five imperatives, and in verse 5, there is four imperatives. So it's a very emotionally charged section of the letter. And yet there is no sound of fear in these words, only faith. Paul is about to set sail, not into the shadows, but into the glory of the Lord. And so there's no remorse in his words and there's no regret about his life. What Paul is doing in 2 Timothy is passing the baton to Timothy. He's explaining to Timothy what the key duties of a man of God are to be. Now folks, in doing so, you and I learn what we need to put as a priority in our own lives. What we see here is that our commitment to and preaching of God's Word is to be the very centerpiece of a faithful Christian ministry. There's a great responsibility in this for pastors, but there's also a great responsibility in this for congregations. Now, what is authentic Christian ministry going to look like? What is it going to be about? That's what I want us to see this morning. And first of all, we need to understand that Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to preach the Word. Preach the Word. He says, beginning in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Again, this command is, is in the imperative, it, it's a command, it's not a suggestion. It's one of five commands in verse 2, and we're going to get around to each of them before we're done this morning. Now, folks, listen to the way that Paul sets the table, though, before he ever even gives the command. He says, I charge you, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. He doesn't simply say, I charge you, but I solemnly charge you. There's great emphasis here. Now, the command to preach the gospel carries with it here two qualifiers. Notice that he mentions first the matter of the presence of God. Paul is giving a charge to Timothy in the very presence of God with the realization also that Timothy's preaching will be in the presence of God. Folks, everything that we do is in the presence of God. It would do us well to remember that. 
I think it would change a lot of our speech. It would change a lot of our actions. It would change a lot of our motives and our relationships if you and I were to realize that every single thing we do in life is carried out in the very presence of Almighty God. And then also there's the fact of the judgment. Timothy needs to understand that Christ will judge the living and the dead. Folks, nobody escapes. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is coming again, and when he comes, he comes the next time, not as Savior, but as judge. The implication here is that Timothy's ministry of preaching the word will be judged, but also that those to whom Timothy preaches will also be judged. And so folks, there is a great urgency, there is a great seriousness about what we do as the church. I hope you realize that every single week that we gather to worship, and we gather to listen to the message, whether in Sunday school or in service. This is very serious business that we're about. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say. He said, there needs to be a warning sign in our church lobbies that says, warning, church attendance may be dangerous to your health because you're going to be held accountable for what you hear today and what you do with what you hear. We need to live constantly with that in our minds. We don't like to think very much today about judgment, but we need to. It's as the book of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. One of these days, like it or not, you've got an appointment with God, and I've got an appointment with God. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Folks, we need to realize that. And we need to live our lives in light of that, and when we come to church, we need to worship also in light of that. And so Paul says here, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. Eternities hang in the balance as we proclaim the Word of God. It is that serious. I honestly wonder sometimes how much praying that we do before Sunday school and how much praying we do before worship. I think that says a lot about how seriously we take this moment. Somebody may ask today, what's the big deal with preaching and teaching the Word of God? Well, I think the answer is right here because of the coming of the Lord one day to judge both the living and the dead. And also it goes back to what Paul has already said in chapter 3. Back in chapter 3, he said to Timothy, Timothy, you've known the Scripture since you were a young man. And you've seen how the scriptures give you the wisdom that you need to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because the scripture points out that you've sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the scripture also gives God's solution. God has sent you a savior. And through the scripture you learn all of that. 
But not only do you learn how to be saved, but chapter 3 also reminded us that the Scripture reminds us of how to be discipled. The Scripture is adequate for our discipleship. For equipping us as believers to be able to carry out the ministry that God has given us in the world. No wonder Timothy is to preach the word. I mentioned last Sunday that the very next day, this past Monday, October 31st, was Reformation Day. And I mentioned that it was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. I actually got ahead of myself by one year. It's the 499th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. You'll remember what the Reformers did, the Protestant Reformers. They put the Word of God back as the central thing in our worship. You see, the, uh, the Catholic Church had elevated the Mass to the central element in worship. And the Protestant Reformers came along and they said, no, 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 no. It is the Word of God and the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God that occupies the central place of our worship because as the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. People continue to tell me of visiting other churches with their family members when they're on vacation. It's not unusual at all for one of you tell me, to tell me that you went to a church and did not hear one single verse in the Bible ever read or referred to. That the pastor just got up and talked about current events or some book that he had read. One of you told me recently you'd gone up the road about an hour from here and you'd gone to church with your parents and the pastor got up, at least to his credit, he read the passage that he was going to preach on, but you told me after he got done reading it, he closed his Bible, he set it aside, and he never ever made another single reference to the Scripture or the Lord Jesus Christ the whole rest of the worship service. Folks, that is a crying shame because the Word of God is our sermon. This is our message. And so we are to preach it and teach it. And by the way, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. In fact, the word that Paul uses here in verse 2 for preaching the Word simply refers to to proclaiming the word or speaking the word. You don't have to stand in front of a crowd to carry out this commandment. You can be sitting across from somebody one-on-one -on -one at lunchtime and carry out verse 2. In fact, the word he uses is used that way in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, there are some folks who had brought a lame man to Jesus and Jesus healed him. But then Jesus said to the lame man and to the people who brought him, said, when you leave here, I don't want you to go and speak of any of this yet, for my time has not yet come. But the Bible says they all went out and began to proclaim what the Lord had done. Same word here. So folks, preaching the word, proclaiming the word is something that each of us are to make as a priority in our lives. It is a word that simply refers to being a herald, an ambassador. 
Somebody that used to be like the town crier back in the olden days when there was a town herald that would ride into town with a very important message for the public because they didn't have all the means of communication that you and I have today. And so a herald would ride into town and say, Hear ye, hear ye, here is a message from the king. Well, folks, you and I are heralds of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I like what Dr. John Piper said about this and what he said about preaching on one occasion. He was comparing preaching to this image of being a town crier. He said, let's just suppose that a great king had a life and death message for a village. He sends the town crier out to give the announcement. You can see the town crier now ascending the platform and calling all the townspeople together and saying, Hear ye, hear ye, a message from the king. You can only imagine the importance of that moment in time. You can only imagine how the people would lean forward to hear. Piper was saying, Pastors, that is how we are every Every single Sunday. Hear ye, hear ye. Here is the message from a great king. The king of kings and lord of lords. I said earlier that there were some qualifiers to Timothy's preaching. He was to preach in the presence of God. And he's to preach with the judgment in mind. Well, let's add a few more qualifiers to that. Timothy is to preach the word when it is convenient and when it is not convenient. Paul says, be ready in season and out of season. Now folks, that too is a command. Timothy, be ready. Preach the word when you feel like it. When you don't. When people listen, when they don't. When it's easy and when it's not easy. In season and out of season, Timothy, you need to preach the word. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are not to wait on situations where our circumstances are ideal. How many times in the church... When asked to do something or serve, we want all of the circumstances just right. We want it convenient. Folks, it is never going to be just right. Everything is never going to be to our exact liking. We're to serve the Lord anyway. We're to proclaim the message anyway. We're to preach the word anyway, in season and out of season. And let's point out the fourth qualifier here. Timothy is to vary his preaching. What do I mean by that? Paul says here, he is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's three more imperatives we can add to the list. Some preaching has a corrective tone to it. It's that in-your-face kind of preaching. That kind of preaching that steps on your toes and peels the skin back, so to speak. Some of that old-timey hellfire and brimstone preaching. There's a place for that. But our preaching is not to be all of that. Some of it is to be that way. 
but some of it is to be corrective. We're simply to give instruction that changes people's lives and we are to encourage people. We are to admonish people. We are to exhort people. Our preaching is to have all of those elements involved in it. And like I've said before, the easiest solution to making sure your preaching and teaching is like that is to teach the whole counsel of God. Preach through books of the Bible. Preach the Bible the way it was written. Because if you do that, you simply go passage by passage in the Word of God. Guess what? You're going to cover everything. Some passages are going to step on your toes. Some passages you're not going to be saying amen to, you're going to be saying oh my to. And then some passages are going to lift you up and encourage you and comfort you. If we're preaching the whole counsel of God, we're covering all of that. I feel sorry for those churches that every single Sunday morning, the only thing they ever get is a salvation message. Likewise, I feel sorry for those congregations that week in and week out, they never get a salvation message. It's not either or, it's both and, depending on what the text points out to us. There are some congregations when they come together week after week, all the pastor ever talks about is eschatology, end time things. I feel sorry for those congregations. Sometimes all a congregation hears about maybe is tithing. Whatever the hobby horse of the pastor happens to be, that's what the congregation hears week in and week out. That is a crying shame. Last month I was asking a lady over in Charlotte how they liked their new pastor. And she said, oh, we love our new pastor. She said, but I just wish... Uh, there would be some Sundays he would be a little nicer to us. I said, what do you mean? She said, every single week he tells us what we've done wrong. He never tells us that we do anything right. She said, I just wish every now and then that he would encourage us a little bit. Well, folks, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, reprove, rebuke, but also exhort, admonish, encourage. Biblical preaching does all of the above. Now, notice a fifth and a last qualifier here. He says, with patience and instruction. The minister preaches the Word of God with great patience and instruction. Now, folks, I've got a confession to make to you this morning, okay? Oftentimes, we preachers want to see everything happen overnight. And it doesn't work that way. You may want to see that in your Sunday school class. Some of you have mentioned to me before, why don't they get it? Why won't they listen? Well, stay at it. Some will. Folks, don't ever think that everybody is always going to listen. There is only one case in the Bible where I know that happened. And that was Jonah, when Jonah went into Nineveh and he only preached an eight-word sermon that we have recorded. Boy, wouldn't you love that, an eight-word sermon. 
but the whole entire town of Nineveh repented and came to the Lord. That's the only case I know where something like that happened. Usually it doesn't happen that way. But one, one here gets it, one over here, one there, slowly and surely over time. If you're a pastor, or you're a Sunday school teacher, or you lead a discipleship group, you've got to do that with patience and instruction. It takes time. Don't get in a hurry. Sometimes I, you know, I, I wonder about people sometimes, but folks, in all honesty, all I need to do is, is look at my own life. You know, I've come to realize people are people. I'm not making excuse for sinful human nature, but it's true. People are people, and all I've got to do to realize that is simply look in the mirror and look at my own life. There are plenty of times that I don't get things quick enough. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, you've got to have patience. Keep on giving the instruction. You'll make a difference over time. Somebody asked one pastor on one occasion, he had left the ministry to go into the funeral home business, and they said, why in the world would you leave preaching to go into the funeral home business? He said, because now when I straighten people out, they stay straight. <laughs> Sometimes we teach on something and we say, okay, that's enough. I covered it. We've been there and done that. I don't ever have to say anything about that again. And then maybe that week or that month, you'll see somebody doing something. You'll say, I just preached about that. Again, human nature. We've got to keep doing what we're doing. We've got to stay faithful Keep plodding along with patience and instruction. Keep proclaiming the word. And guess what? If you'll do that and I'll do that over time, we'll make a difference. We won't make a difference with everybody, but we'll make a difference with some. Secondly, Paul says to Timothy here, redeem the time. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into myths. Beginning in verse 3, Paul tells Timothy why he's to preach the word. Why he's to be instant in season and out of season. As he points out here in verse 3, there's another season coming one day and some people think we're in that season right now. There's coming a season when people aren't going to tolerate sound doctrine anymore. Timothy is to redeem the time because he has that opportunity to teach and preach sound doctrine currently in his life and ministry. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you better make the most of it while that door remains open. 
People aren't always going to listen. Why are they not always going to listen? Because they've got itching ears. And they want to surround themselves with teachers to suit their own passions. Folks, it is a pretty sad day when we allow human desires and human passions to push aside divine revelation. But that is exactly what Paul is warning of here. Now you've honestly got a wonder about the identity of the people that Paul mentions here in verse 3. When he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. It certainly appears that what Paul is saying is there'll come a day in the church when the unbelieving world will dictate and drive church ministries, unbelievers. And even tears within the church will dictate what Christian ministry is supposed to be about. That's a sad day. The message will not be about what God has said, but it'll be about what do men want. Give men whatever they want. Unfortunately, there'll be too many ministers who will succumb to that pressure. Marvin Vincent was a Bible and a Greek scholar who wrote Vincent's word studies in the New Testament. Some of you have his volume of studies. He made the comment one time, he said, The day will come when if people desire a calf to worship, a ministerial calf maker is readily found. How sad. When Paul says here that the day will come when people will not endure sound teaching, the word sound translates a term from which we get our word hygiene, healthy hygiene. People will turn away spiritually from what brings about good hygiene, spiritually speaking, and instead they will seek after those who will scratch their itching ears and accommodate their passions and they will turn aside from the truth. They will dabble in myths or whatever happens to be the fad of the moment. I'm not sure if you follow church trends very much. I would assume most of you probably don't. You probably didn't read an apology that came about nine or ten years ago from one of America's leading pastors and leading churches. In previous decades, Willow Creek Church outside of Chicago, Illinois was one of America's leading churches and leading ministers. Everybody was wanting to know what was Bill Hybels doing and what was Willow Creek doing. They structured their ministry and everything they did based on business success models. Outside of Bill Hybels' office, there was a sign, a poster that said, What is our business? Who is our customer? What does the customer want? What does the customer value? And Hybels and Willow Creek said, That's what we're going to give them. And to his credit, to his credit, years later, Bill Hybels came out and said, 
we were wrong. We were wrong. And we have decided to make a radical turn of repentance in our ministry. And now we're going to root everything that we do in Scripture. Folks, that is what Paul is warning Timothy of here. That there are going to be those who are going to say consumer-based, what does the customer want? What does society want out of the church? Not what does God want, not, does, not what does God's Word teach, but what do they want? Let's give them what they want. Folks, we don't need to give them what they want. We need to give them what they need. And what do they need? They need Jesus. They need the Word of God. And Paul is simply saying, Timothy, you need to redeem that time. You need to press on. And I would say the same to you this morning. As you think of your circles of influence, the people you go to school with, the people you work with, the people you hang out with, those who don't know the Lord, you need to redeem the time and use whatever opportunities you have with them right now because guess what? That door of opportunity might close there's coming a time when people turn away from the truth redeem the time and then lastly he says to Timothy you need to finish what God has given you to do look at verse 5 he says as for you always be sober minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry Paul tells Timothy to be sober-minded. In other words, Timothy, keep your head. Keep a level head. Don't let the cultural trends spin your head and cause you to lose your head and lose your focus. Yes, you've got to relate to the culture. Folks, all of us have got to relate to the culture because God has put us here for such a time as this. This particular time, in this particular location, we don't need to ignore the culture. But we can't let the culture drive what we do. We've got to be sound, sober-minded. We've got to endure hardship. Timothy, if you go along with what the culture in Ephesus, Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus. Ephesus was a pagan place. Timothy, you go along with the culture there in Ephesus, and guess what? You won't ever have to suffer anything. But you let the Word of God drive your ministry there in Ephesus or us today here in Concord, guess what? You're going to have to endure suffering. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15, the servant is not greater than the master. Jesus said if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We're going to be seeing a film next Sunday night uh, where, where missionaries all over the world are enduring incredible things for the sake of the gospel. Folks, if we live out the gospel even in our culture in America today, guess what? There may be some suffering that you have to end up doing and I have to end up doing. 
Regardless of that, we need to finish the task that God has given us to do. And so he says again, always be sober-minded, be level-headed, keep your head, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Most commentators agree that Paul is not admonishing Timothy that he needs to all of a sudden fill the role of the New Testament biblical spiritual gift of being an evangelist. Ephesians 4 tells us, that in the Old Testament New Testament, God gave prophets, God gave apostles, God gave pastors and evangelists to the church that the saints might be equipped for service. Timothy is not being told, Timothy, you're a pastor. You need to quit being a pastor and you need to all of a sudden become uh, that New Testament evangelist. He's not saying that at all. But he is saying, Timothy, as a pastor, there are going to be those times that you need to be an evangelist. Because a pastor doesn't just preach all the time to believers. In every congregation, any given meeting, there are unbelievers in the congregation and there are unbelievers out there in the world that we have to reach. And so we're going to have to sow the seed and do the work of an evangelist from time to time, even if you're not an evangelist. Folks, all believers have to do that. That's the Great Commission. Where's your life wrapped up in the Great Commission? As a pastor, I don't just equip the saints. I also have to reach the lost. And again, if I'm preaching the whole counsel of God, there are going to be times that the sermons are going to be evangelistic messages because it's an evangelistic text. And if I'm true to the text, it'll be an evangelistic message. Do the work of an evangelist. Keep your head, endure endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. And he says, fulfill your ministry. Complete your ministry. Folks, every one of us in here this morning, every single believer has been given a ministry. It's not just me. It's not just your church staff. Every single one of you as a believer, God has given you at least one spiritual gift and He has given you a ministry to do for the sake of the body of Christ. We've got a mission to the body, uh, excuse me, a ministry to the body and a mission to the world. And every single one of us are to be a part of that. And we need to complete our ministry. What if you keep doing, what if I keep doing exactly what we're doing right now? Will you complete your ministry? Will I complete my ministry? If not, then common sense and obedience dictates... You need to change and I need to change. If, I, if whatever I'm doing, if I'm not going to finish my race in such a way that I can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, then folks, I need to change. 
every one of us we need to remember is going to have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account of our lives I think of what Jesus said about that on one occasion the, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and talents back then weren't what we think of today you know we hear the word talents and we think of a, a talent show or something can you play a flute or play a piano or something? That's not what Jesus was talking about. In fact, a talent in New Testament times was a sum of money. But it was used as a broader application for whatever giftedness, whatever resources God has given you to carry out your ministry. In that parable of the talents, one guy got five, one guy got two, one guy only got one. The guy who got two talents was not expected to do what the guy did who received five. The guy who received two was only going to be judged by what he did with his two. The guy who received one wasn't going to be judged by what the guy did who had two or the guy who had five. He was going to be judged by what he did with his one. Now you remember in that story the guy who received five was faithful. And the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. And he gave him five more. The guy who received two was faithful and he heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant, and he received two more. The guy who only received one was not faithful and the Lord said to him, you're a wicked and a lazy servant. Complete your ministry. You've been given at least one talent. Something to do for the kingdom of God. One day are you going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Finish your ministry. Complete what God has given you to do. Preach the word, redeem the time, and finish what God's given you to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, these days that we live in are not days to shrink back. Help each of us to preach the Word. Lord, may we get it out of our minds that this is something that only I do. Or one of the Kevins, or Jonathan, or Dr. Willis. We're to all preach the word. Now yes, there's a special application for me. But there is an application for each of us. God help us to be ready in season and out of season. Not to wait on ideal circumstances. Or when everything suits us. Or is to our liking. Help us to make the most of our opportunities. And help us to live in such a way that we will finish what you've given us to do. Lord, in the church, oftentimes, 
we're concerned with the start of somebody's Christian life. And, and we need to be concerned about that. Because that's their salvation. But Lord, also we need to be concerned about our finish. Help us to finish well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.